The UFC's welterweight division is home to some of the biggest legends in MMA history. Huge names like the first champ Pat Miletic, onto Matt Hughes, BJ Penn, George St. Pierre, and home to countless other stars. Both the Diaz brothers have fought there, Carlos Condit, Robbie Lawler, Johnny Hendricks, and it's even the weight of the best-selling fight in UFC history at UFC 202 when Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor broke the all-time pay-per-view record. Most recently, Woodley has stood on top of the division with his wins over extremely dangerous opponents, and as of this recording, he's just about to square off with the Liverpool sensation Darren Till. And the history of this division will be explored in two very different ways. Today, we'll follow the lineal champion's history, meaning who beat who starting from the first champion to present day, and the surprising journey it's had outside of the organization. Then we'll cover the UFC's title history strictly as the belt changed hands within the organization on the second video later this week. I'm Jason from MMA on Point, and this is the lineal history of the welterweight title. Chapter 1, Formation If you've seen our other videos covering the formation of how the first UFC titles came to be, you'll remember that the very first belt that was made was the heavyweight title, and the second division in history was made on the same night, simply titled the lightweight division. This is far from the same lightweight we know today, as it simply met just 200 pounds and under. By UFC 16, more divisions were created, with middleweight now taking the place of lightweight to represent under 200 pounds, and a new lightweight division was made representing 170 pounds and under or what we would consider welterweight today. This new division was christened with its first champion as Pat Miletic bested the weight class's first tournament by beating Chris Brennan in the finals. As fate would have it, this was the only one-night tournament the division ever had as the UFC would move to a more traditional format moving forward. So this led to the first official title fight in division history. Chapter 2, The Worst UFC Title Fight Ever After leaving the one-night tournament format in the past, the UFC sought to establish its first lightweight or then 170 pound champion at UFC Brazil or UFC 17.5 in 1998. It's noteworthy to mention that this was the UFC's first ever event in Brazil and for context was also the night Vitor Belfort TKO'd Vanderlei Silva in just 44 seconds, three years before Vanderlei would go on to dominate Pride's middleweight division. So the first lightweight title match took place between naturally the tournament champion Pat Miletic, whose only loss at this stage was to who we all now know as Demetrius Johnson's coach Matt Hume by TKO in 1997. He had a 21-1 record with two draws going into this fight as the betting favorite. His opponent was Mikey Burnett, a fighter out of the Ken Shamrock-led Team Lions Den, and also competed and won in the same tournament Militic won at UFC 16, but he was injured and unable to compete against him in the final. So logically, the two were pitted against each other for the very first title fight. What would result is easily the worst title fight, in my opinion, in UFC history. What made it so bad was not only the incredibly slow pace of it all with hardly any action, but more egregiously within the first 30 seconds of the fight, the two men began engaging in the most awkward grappling exchange I've ever seen. Miltich began exploiting the fact that there was no rule against pulling on each other's shorts. With only a few punches thrown, the two began pulling on each other's shorts so much that Miltich actually ended up with a wedgie on multiple occasions and Burnett's boxers were completely pulled out of his trunks. It was such a terrible fight and to make things worse, I actually thought Burnett deserved the win with more top control and better stand-up exchanges. But nevertheless, Militich would get the decision and be crowned as the very 
first champion. Chapter 3, Coloring Outside the Lines With the frankly embarrassing first title fight, which is likely the reason short pulling is officially against the rules and the first champion now in the books, Pat Militich moved on to his first title defense at UFC 18 against Jorge Patino. Although I wouldn't call this fight the most exciting fight, it was far better than the Burnett fight and it was a nice showcase for Militich as he controlled most of the fight on the feet and on the ground as well. But this is where it gets interesting and when things broke off from the beaten path. Militich was still the UFC champion, but because it was during the dark ages in America when it was banned in most states and pulled off of many cable networks, the UFC simply didn't have the money and power to hold fighters within an exclusive contract like they do now. So even while champion, he went to fight with another promotion at Super Bowl against Jutaro Nakao. And this is where the distinction is made linearly. He was the unbeaten champion fighting outside of the UFC. You'll find a lot of parallels here with how Randy Couture fought outside of the UFC the year prior, with Militich trying his luck against a submission specialist as well. And similar to Couture's loss to Ensign in a way by armbar, Militich also found himself in a deep submission by triangle choke. He went for a slam but was unable to break Nakao's grip and was forced to tap and even falling unconscious momentarily after the hold was finally released. Chapter 4, Lost in Japan So although Militich was still the UFC champion and would go on to defend several times, he had just lost his title in a lineal fashion. So the lineal title would then move with Nakao into Japan for Shudo's 10th anniversary event and rematch against Tetsuji Kato where despite winning the first fight, he ended up losing this time by decision. And so with that came the chaos as Kato would face future welterweight title challenger Hayato Sakurai for the Shudo Middleweight Championship and lose this time by decision. And this is where one of the most shocking twists of the story took place. Sakurai was unbeaten at this time and had a record of 15-0 after Kato. He'd win three more times that even included a KO win over Frank Trigg with vicious knees before facing a young, very lean fighter and Shudo middleweight title challenger, Anderson Silva. At just the age of 26, this was five years before Anderson won the UFC middleweight championship. The fight had some real flurries with both men landing big in the first round, but midway through the second round, Anderson began to pick apart the champion. Perhaps if not for the bell ring at the perfect time, Sakurai would have been finished, but as a result, he was able to survive. Sakurai managed to maintain control through most of the third and final round, but it was Anderson Silva who finished on top and earned the decision victory. And for the next two years, Anderson Silva's career would continue to grow as he'd begin fighting in pride and getting his legendary flying knee KO over former UFC champion Carlos Newton before he'd be matched up against Daiju Takasi. Anderson was a heavy favorite having only lost once in his career and was unbeaten for the last three years by this point. Despite this, he was taken down early and was on the receiving end of multiple submission attempts from Takasi before he landed a tight triangle to get the win. This was a shocking result for many reasons considering how their future careers would turn out and the fact that Takasi would end up retiring with a 12 and 15 record. Just goes to show how crazy MMA is and he was the lineal welterweight champion at this time. And in line with that mixed record, Takasi would lose his very next fight against the cousin of the legendary Hoist Gracie, Rodrigo Gracie, by decision in October of 2003. Rodrigo would go on to represent the name well against Hayato Sakurai, who had lost the lineal title to Anderson Silva a couple years earlier. And so in this way, the lineal title narrowly escaped overlap. He'd go on to win that bout before the lineal title would cross paths with another UFC legend. Chapter 5, Off the Deep End 
By some utterly strange random circumstance, BJ Penn had just beaten who many would have considered the best pound for pound fighter in the world at that time, Matt Hughes, the man with the longest active title streak in the world at that time. And BJ did it as the smaller man coming up in weight from 155 to fight Hughes at 170 pounds. But in an even bigger curveball, he promptly decided to leave the UFC citing a lack of competition. Perhaps today's version of the UFC would have sued him into oblivion, but still in the dark ages and with the lack of funds back then, in fact, BJ actually tried to sue them, but unsuccessfully for not letting him compete outside of the UFC when he claimed the contract was expired. So he was stripped of the belt. You can tell a lot's changed since then, but regardless, BJ was able to slip out of his contract and sign with K1. So in his first fight with him, he'd actually snag an arm triangle against now-famed trainer Dwayne Ludwig in the first round. And this is how his path intersected with then-welterweight lineal champion Rodrigo Gracie. Rodrigo was fighting at middleweight, and at the time, BJ Penn decided to go up and fight him. It was a showcase fight where BJ dominated on the ground and on the feet to get a decision win. But going up two weight classes from lightweight to middleweight just wasn't enough for him as the undefeated future light heavyweight champion Lyoto Machida had made his way to K1. Incredibly, Lyoto weighed in at 225 pounds and BJ Penn had managed to weigh in at 191. Unfortunately though, it wasn't the most exciting fight as both ran out of energy midway through the fight. And as you might expect, the much bigger man Machida earned the decision victory. And so if you're familiar with the light heavyweight division, Machida would go on to be the undefeated light heavyweight champion four years later after KOing Rashad Evans. And that would lead to Shogun KOing Machida in their second fight before infamously losing to John Jones in his first championship fight. Considering Jones hasn't lost to anyone since becoming UFC champion except for maybe Usada, that's where the lineal story ends, overlapping with a light heavyweight belt and for now, sidelined alongside Jones's career. So if you were to look at that all on paper, pretty interesting and unexpected stuff. Tune in for my next video covering UFC title history, starting from Pat Militich in 1998, leading up to the title fight of Tyron Woodley and Darren Till here in September of 2018. Thanks for watching my video guys, if you enjoyed it, please subscribe and like. We upload at least three times per week with videos about MMA and it really helps us out when you do so. If I missed anything, let me know in the comments and you can follow me personally for more conversation on Twitter at JasonTheHeart or follow our official account at OnPointMMA. Thanks so much and I'll catch you guys on the next video. Whether athletes substitute a 9 to 5 in exchange for the pursuit of becoming the world's best fighter, it doesn't take the biggest stretch of imagination to believe many fighters often find themselves doing whatever it takes to succeed or finding themselves in controversial situations outside of MMA. In extreme cases, fighters end up sabotaging the final portion or the entirety of their professional